Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Hey now, what up though? Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon. And what Patreon is, it's going to help you. The JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right. Looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode. I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes. That's right, JSC exclusives. You'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else. For $10 or more per episode, now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show. You got a business, you want me to talk about it, I want you to sponsor my show. For $10, hit me up, send me the script, I'm putting you over. Plus, you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it. For $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time, you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Lions rush four. There goes Rodgers again. Looking to the outside again. Throwing, and it is caught for a touchdown by Geronimo Allison. I mean, you just, you can't stop him if he does that. This is what's so difficult to defend, whether you're in man coverage, which they are here, plenty of time, he's scrambling around, buying time, and eventually one of these wide receivers uncover. They practice this all the time. People think, oh my goodness, it's street ball. They're just, no. They, every single day in practice, when we get the opportunity to go there, Aaron Rodgers, even when there's nobody else on the field, will take off and start moving around to try and come up with plays like that. They're used to it. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Happy New Year. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is episode 26 of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio as we enter the year 2017. We've left that dumpster fire 2016 behind, and trust me, we're going to be talking about another dumpster fire in a few minutes here. But first and foremost, I want to thank everybody who showed love and supported the show 
while we were off the last couple of weeks for Christmas and New Year's, getting ourselves together, getting everything right, getting everything locked down, and getting out of 2016. I want to thank you for supporting the two best of shows, the best of year in sports, and the best of the year that was. There is a third one coming. I am still going to do that. That will be the best of looking at the best of the interviews, the best of the guests of 2016. I did not forget about Janae, Lara, and Adrian. I'm going to get them back on here ASAP. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at J. Scott Smith. On Instagram, J. Scott Smith. Snapchat, J. Scott Smith. Do I really need to make it any plainer than that? Wherever you look at J. Scott Smith, just assume it's me. Holla at me. Be sure to subscribe. Go ahead and give that subscribe button on iTunes a pound. JSC Radio. All you got to do is do that, and you ain't got to do nothing else. I'm right there in your phone or in your iPad or in your iPod if you so choose. Also, if you're on Stitcher, subscribe on Stitcher. Be sure to do that. Coming soon, going to be moving this whole shebangabang over to a new host site. I'll give you more information on that soon. And as you heard in the promo, you want to support the show, you want to be a sponsor, or you just simply want to help this show get better, patreon.com slash JSC radio. Yeah, you can tell changing up how the show sounds. I mean, of course, the obvious things are going to still remain. And yeah, I'm going to switch up the intro tunes a little bit. I like to keep it retro around here in case you haven't guessed. And one thing that's being kept retro more than anything else is the fact that um, the Detroit Lions have made me look like a fool ass once again. Go figure. This was a year that somehow they managed to do the unthinkable. They made me look like a fool twice. First, they made me look like a fool in August for daring to suggest they would be 5-11 and 11 or 6-10. and 10. Dare I say that, you know, they kind of look like a 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 team if you had watched them the last month. Or, just some four weeks ago, I got on this very podcast and actually praised them. I actually said, you know what, since you idiots done messed around and won nine games, might as well go for the gusto. And I couldn't have gotten that sentence out of my damn mouth before they went right into the crapper. One foot in the grave, one foot in the toilet. That's what the Detroit Lions are. They always have been, and they always will be. You heard the start of the show there. And I even mentioned it during the best ofs, how the Lions were setting themselves up to get Aaron Rodgers one more time. Sure enough, what happened? Aaron Rodgers happened. I should be mad at them, but I'm partially mad at myself because I kept telling myself, don't believe in them. Don't believe in them. There's too much evidence in front of you telling you that this team is still the same old Lions. They're the same old sorry-ass Lions. They're the same franchise that's had now 17 winning seasons since the 1960s. They're the same team that's won all of one postseason game since the end of Jim Crow. They're the same team that just nearly a decade ago went winless in a season they're the same team that 12 years ago despite having five consecutive seasons of 10 plus losses their old crotchety buffoonish owner gave a contract extension to arguably the worst front office executive in the history of north american sports 
Matt Millen. So, I should be mad at myself. And I am. Because they pump faked me. I bid on the fake. They got me up in the air. And I landed on them and committed the foul. Now, of course, if the Lions were an NBA player who were able to induce a foul out of somebody, they'd go to the line and miss both free throws with at least one of them hitting off the rim and bouncing back and hitting them in the face. But I allowed myself to get pump faked because I've been very guarded about them. You could tell from the two different episodes I've done on this team. I had to do this. I warned y'all that this was probably going to be the first episode of this new year. But it had to be. What you saw on Saturday night was a microcosm of what I've dealt with out of this just sorry-ass, irritating franchise for the last 25 years. They are a hodgepodge of horse shit. They are a mess and mass of mismanagement. They are a complete flagellum of fail. That's what the Detroit Lions are. It's what they do. It's in their DNA. Losing is in their DNA. Coming up short is what's in their DNA. And the reason I say it's in their DNA is because it's ingrained in this entire team's system to fall short at the biggest moments. Now, mind you, I didn't fully buy in. I wasn't hearing any of this poppycock, any of this bollocks about Matthew Stafford being an MVP candidate. Oh, I pissed off some Lion fans. And oh, the the second part of this show will get to the Lion faithful, by the way. I pissed off a whole lot of Lion fans when I dared to scoff and laugh and mock anybody who said Matthew Stafford was MVP material. He's not. He never has been. He never will be. Is he as bad as I made him out to be? No. He has gotten better. He has. He's gone from a below average quarterback to an average quarterback who on the right days and at the right moments can be slightly above average. That GPA of his might creep to about 3.2. I didn't fully buy in. And there were reasons why I didn't fully buy in on this. That team won nine of their first 13 games. They were nine and four. I came on here after the New Orleans game where they went down to the, I almost called it the Silver Dome. Oops, what am I, Hulk Hogan? I, brother, I basically saw that team go down to the Louisiana Superdome and beat the New Orleans Saints from pillar to post. Made them look bad. Like, really bad. That was as good as I'd seen the Lions look in probably three or four years. As good as they had looked since the 11-5 and year. Which, more and more, looks like a fluke. They went down there, pummeled the Saints, won that game going away. Going away! And the reason that was so notable, it was the only time the whole damn year they did it. They played... 16 regular season games. Not even gonna get into we'll we'll get into Saturday. We'll get into we'll get into that playoff game in a second. But they played 16 regular season games. In 15 of those 16 games, the Lions trailed in the fourth quarter. Let me say that again. In 15 out of 16 games, the Detroit Lions trailed in the fourth quarter. Only one other team 
this year could say that. That would be the Cleveland Browns, who, if not for Josh Lambeau forgetting how to kick field goals, would have gone 0-16 this year. The Browns went 1-15. That's what normally happens to teams that consistently enter the game's final 15 minutes on the wrong end of a score. The Lions managed to win eight times in 15 tries when they trailed in the fourth. Again, I'll get to the Simpleton fans on the on the flip of this show. This team wasn't playing exactly a murderer's row on their schedule, by the way. Some of those comeback victories were against such juggernaut teams as the 3-13 Chicago Bears. By the way, they lost a game to the Chicago Bears. They split two games with them. One of those losses was to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Excuse me. One of those comebacks was against the Jacksonville Jaguars. All the losses start to run together. One of those comebacks was against the Jacksonville Jaguars who fired their head coach, Gus Bradley, before the season ended. One of those comebacks was against the Los Angeles Rams who fired Jeff Fisher well before the season ended. Two of those comebacks were against the Minnesota Vikings, both of them coming within the final two minutes of each game. One in Minneapolis, one in Detroit on Thanksgiving. Minnesota literally, their entire season hung on those two L's that they essentially put on themselves against the Detroit Lions. They literally set themselves up to fail in Minneapolis, then set themselves up to fail on Thanksgiving Day. One of those comeback wins, one of them, one of those comeback wins was off the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles, who had the lead and the ball inside of two to play, And if Ryan Matthews slips one more tackle, he's down the sideline into the end zone with a dagger touchdown. The Lions are one and four, and Jim Caldwell's probably fired. Instead, Darius Slay flies in, gets his helmet on the ball, pops it free, Lions recover, kick a field goal, and steal. Straight up theft a win. One of those comebacks was off of Washington, who... They single-handedly, it seemed, were the reason the Lions ended up taking the back door into the playoffs. Kirk Cousins, sorry Kirk, broke free, untouched, scored a touchdown. In the final minute, Stafford somehow gets them back down the field, hits Anquan Bolden as he, just as time is about to run out, gets the Lions the win, which turns out to be key because it essentially came down to Detroit and Washington at the end of the season. And since the Lions had diddled around the final three weeks, Washington had wandered their way into a win-and-your-end scenario. And Kirk Cousins put one on a tee for the New York Giants, and the Lions took the rear way into the playoffs. Again, sorry, Kirk. So the Lions made the playoffs. The Lions went 9-4 and four through 13 games, largely off of pixie dust, and unicorn tears and angels getting their wings. Like that meme that's floating around on Twitter of that super cool dude who 
apparently makes like the greatest steaks and ribs and he's just this unbelievable master chef of meat and he has this super crazy way of just sprinkling salt. That guy was sprinkling the pixie dust onto the Detroit Lions for the first 13 games. And then the Giants happened. Remember I said that if somehow they got to Dallas at 9-5, and five, they were a pretty good shoe-in to win that division. The two things I didn't factor in, well, three things. One, I didn't factor in Matthew Stafford getting his middle finger dislocated and essentially a ligament torn in it, so that hampered him. Two, I didn't figure that Theo Riddick would suddenly get hurt and basically die because of a damn wrist injury. And three, I didn't figure that Aaron Rodgers would go Super Saiyan down the stretch. Those were the three things. But once I started to see that train coming, and I know what that train looks like, I just saw that train come rolling down the track three years ago when in almost an, ex an exact same scenario, I'm frustrated if you can't tell, an exact same scenario, the Lions were two games clear in that division, except instead of it being Minnesota and Green Bay, it was Chicago and Green Bay. But they were two games clear. Jay Cutler was dead. Aaron Rodgers was dead. They'd already beaten the Packers straight up. They'd beaten the Bears twice. And they gave it all away. They didn't win another game after Thanksgiving. They lost the month of December. And the Bears and Packers chased their ass down to the point that in the last game of the season, the Lions weren't even in the playoff hunt. I saw this happen three years ago. It got Jim Schwartz fired. The only reason that the Lions were even playing on Saturday, if you can call what they did on Saturday playing, the only reason they were even playing in that game on Saturday is because Washington gave that game away last Sunday. And that's it. That is it. So the Lions go to the Giants, score six points, go to Dallas, Actually took a 21-14 lead. That's as good as they had looked. Had a 21-14 lead. Next thing you know, gave up 28 unanswered points. 42-21 on the night after Christmas. Wasn't even a fair fight. Then you heard at the start of the show what happened with Green Bay. Now, mind you, that game was for the division championship. It was for a chance to break a, oh, I don't know, 23-year stretch without winning a division title. When every single franchise in the NFL has gotten at least one division championship, most cases, almost all of them have three. We don't count the Browns who came back. But all the rest have at least three division titles. In the span of time since the Lions last won what was then the NFC Central in 1993. Now help me out here. Help me. You would think, as much as they like to yap and gesticulate and jump bad and talk tough, that the Lions, who all of a sudden had to go into damage control and start talking this, oh, this is what we wanted all year. If you'd have told, I mean, how can anybody say anything? If you'd have said back in September that the Lions were would be playing for their division, and you'd, you'd be happy about that. Yeah, I would have been in August, but... When you were 9-4 and four and two games clear of all the competition, you swept Minnesota, you split with Chicago, and Chicago's trash, and Green Bay was basically chasing their own tail for 10 weeks. You guys are 9-4. and four. It shouldn't have to come down to the final week. 
That's like a team in baseball having an eight-game lead in division, and it comes down to the final weekend, and they're talking about, hey, but isn't this what you wanted? Hell no, it's not what I wanted. I wanted you to sew the damn thing up. Win the division. But, but hey, you get them at home, national TV, what happens? It's frustrating as hell, as you can tell. Rodgers happens again. So instead of a division championship, a home playoff game for the first time in more than two decades, you got to go on the road to Seattle. And as you will hear right here, things didn't exactly go well in the Pacific Northwest. Take the rolls. Wilson's going to lob one. You got all kinds of action in the end zone. You got two flags. And somehow, some way, Paul Richardson comes up with the ball. should have been offensive pass interference. It was not. Not a chance. There's the foul. No question about it. Second down and 10 from the 24-yard line. Rolls, and he's able to spring away again. What a night for this guy. It has just been mistakes so far for the Detroit Lions. Play action. Fires into traffic. Well, he looks like Odell Beckham tonight out here making some of these catches. House going to try to make it 10 to nothing from 43 out, which he does. A third and one, and they're going to run the ball and rolls again. Burst through the line of scrimmage. There's Wilson down there to throw a block to help spring him. Play fake to rolls. Now Wilson going deep down the sideline. Baldwin is able to hold it in. Did he stay inbound? Is the question. And the officials looking at each other, and at the 23 yard line, they're going to call it a completion. And Wilson fires, and then it'll be caught. And over right guard, Thomas rolls for the touchdown. The Seahawks just went 82 yards in eight plays to turn it into a two-possession lead. Third and five. Pass deep down field. Can he one-handed? Flag thrown. Richardson able to come up with the ball. That's 27 yards. Defense, number 24. They may have found a factor here. And Wilson on the run. That'll be not caught. Incomplete. And getting up as Baldwin said, he goes right over to Carroll. He says, challenge that. I caught it. After reviewing the play, the rule on the field has been changed. It is a catch. Wilson goes that way. And the two guys there in Baldwin catches it. Jermaine Curse had a walk-in stand-up touchdown right here. And watch Doug Baldwin steal it from him. No, he wasn't. He didn't. And the great thing is, is they really we're able to do this without putting Russell Wilson in any kind of jeopardy here tonight. And the Seattle Seahawks are moving on. And the Detroit Lions go into the offseason. This is the, the this is a microcosm of my life as a Detroit Lion fan. Because what I had to hear going into that game all last week were people. I'm talking not just fans, I'm talking people who are analysts, people who are in this business. Try to legitimately sell to me and to the general public 
that the Detroit Lions, that team you just heard, the Detroit Lions, were somehow going to, after not doing anything remotely close to winning for a month, were going to somehow jump on a plane, go across the country to Seattle to play in the one stadium where nobody wins in January, who isn't wearing a Seahawk uniform, who hasn't won a postseason road game since 1957, that hasn't won a postseason game of any kind in 25 years. And I'm supposed to believe that they had a chance of winning that game. Oh, but you, but the Seattle's not that tough. They're not that good. They lost Earl Thomas. They're not that good. The Lions can get them. The Lions have a chance. Why don't you believe? Why don't you have hope? You want to know why? You want to know why I don't believe? Because hope is not a damn strategy. I live in reality. The Lions had no business being in the playoffs. Uh, playoffs? As I said to Nick Wright of Fox Sports, the Detroit Lions were essentially a 5-11 team that got to 9-7 because they made a bunch of pixie dust-covered comebacks and won a bunch of games against a bunch of bad teams, and they probably should have lost at least two-thirds of them. Yet somehow they're 9-7, they're in the playoffs, and they fall right into Seattle, and the Seahawks toyed with them. That was a 10-6 game in the fourth quarter. 10-6! As these dopey-ass Lion fans were, were want to say, Oh, we got them right where they want them. They got them right where they want them. The Lions have got them right there. Did you know they had all the eight fourth-quarter comebacks? That was a 10-6 game that I never got of the vibe. I'm telling you, these Lions just pissed me off. That was a 10-6 game that I never got the vibe. Never got the feeling that they were going to come back and win that game. At 10-6. 10-6 with the ball. You couldn't tell me that that team was going to come back and win that game. Seattle was toying with them. And as soon as it was go time, just like with Green Bay, just like in Dallas, just like at the Meadowlands, when it was go time, the Lions got shown the door. They were 0-5 against teams that made the playoffs. Plus, they lost the game to the Chicago Bears. I want to hear shrimp about hope. About why don't you believe? Why don't you get behind the Lions? Why don't you trust them? Why can't you just give them a chance? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Coming up after this break, I got a little something for these Lion fans. Where it's one thing for the organization to basically accept participation ribbons and run playoff appearance banners up to the Raptors. It's another thing for a fan base in a supposedly tough city like Detroit to accept that their NFL franchise is softer than a baby's bottom covered in baby powder. My name is J. Scott Smith, and this is the People's Podcast. You're listening to JSC Radio. We'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, it's J. Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free, you can listen anytime, anywhere. Now if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40 
thousand news, entertainment, and sports shows such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. You don't have the Stitcher app? Simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in .1 miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is JSC Radio. I went from being the optimistic Lion fan because I was a kid, because I was a kid and a teenager during the 1990s, and watching them win 8, 9, and 10 games in a season and go to the playoffs only to get their head torn off as soon as they got there. I mean, who can forget when they came out here to Philadelphia and got a shotgun shoved in their mouth? They find a way to disappoint you all the time. But as a teenager, I wasn't jaded. I'm thinking, this happens. Of course they'll win another playoff game. Next year will be their year. It's going to come together. Oh, the referees were against them. Oh, they just came up a little short, but, but, but I love my Lions. The 2000s, that kind of gave way. And I can give you the exact point in time when I just knew the Lions basically didn't give a shit about their fans and in turn I slowly stopped really giving a shit about them oh I'll watch I'll find ways to watch I'll find ways to listen but the idealistic the thought of hey they could do it don't how can you criticize them they're our team those are our boys and now it's like no 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 dude I get it I get it now you're listening to the people's podcast this is JSC Radio episode 26. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Jay Scott Smith here. Again, want to thank everybody who's been following me, whether it's on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, you know, at Jay Scott Smith. I am verified, by the way. Or those of you listening on iTunes or on Stitcher, be sure to give a dap to that subscription button. Subscribe, damn it. It's also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Smith. And working on getting a new site and a new host as we're really, really trying to ratchet this thing up, you know, without being ratchet, here on JSC Radio. So, yeah, we're jumping right off into this. In all honesty, Lions fans really, really piss me off. The only fan base in Southeast Michigan that annoys me more and pisses me off more would be Michigan fans. I'll get to you in a second, too. Would be Michigan fans, except the only difference is I don't actively root for the University of Michigan. I don't have to deal with the University of Michigan's fan base. I got to deal with these Lion fans. And especially over the last few weeks, I've become really ashamed of a lot of Lions fans. Whether it's their blind loyalty to this team and this franchise, which repeatedly and continually slaps you in the face, is condescending to you, disrespects the hell out of you. Whether it's that or whether you want to stand up and defend the foolishness they do. Or even worse, it's accepting 
what this team is and saying, hey, we're just happy to be here. The Lions were 9-4. and four. Two games clear of everyone in their division. At one point, just four weeks ago, they were the second seed in the NFC. Meaning, if something silly happened to the Dallas Cowboys and the Lions had taken care of their business, <laughs> guess what? You host the NFC Championship game. You talk about the wettest of dreams to dudes like me who sat through 0-16, who sat through Marty Morningweg and in over his head Steve Mariucci and Rod Marinelli and Matt Millen who was sitting in the Pontiac Silverdome. Because that's a funny thing. A lot of you morons love to question my fandom because I don't kiss that franchise's ass. It's not going to happen. been going to Lions games since before most of you simps were born. I've been watching the Lions, whether I've liked it or not, even if I didn't know what the hell I was watching since the early 1980s. I can vaguely remember Eddie Murray missing that field goal in San Francisco in 1983. So you can miss me with the simp nonsense of, oh, you're not a real fan. How you call yourself a fan? Shut up. What's even sillier is this notion and you know I was going to get to him at some point, is this notion that Jim Caldwell is somehow the greatest coach in Lion history and we should just keep quiet, have the faith, and get behind Caldwell because he's the best we've got. Who would you replace him with? I'd replace him with a potted plant. I'd replace him with Josh McDaniels. And yes, McDaniels was a bit of a washout and he wore his welcome out in Denver. Dude won in Denver. He actually won a playoff game in Denver. More than I can say for Jim Caldwell in Detroit. And let's just keep it real. He didn't do a damn thing in Indianapolis. Uh, and you know what? I never say things like this. I played football. I know how difficult it is to play, to coach, to be a GM. I totally get that. I could have coached that Colts team to a Super Bowl. Oh, well, Jim Caldwell, you just don't understand how, how, how difficult of a job it was. It wasn't that difficult. You got handed an in-his-prime pre-injury Peyton Manning. You got handed Reggie Wayne. You got handed Marvin Harrison. You got handed Edgerin James. You got handed Dwight Freeney, a really damn good defense. All Jim Caldwell had to do was stand there like he does in the Lions gear and stay the hell out of the way. That's all he needed. He didn't have to do nothing else. So miss me with the Jim Caldwell led a team to the Super Bowl. He led that team to a Super Bowl much in the way Casey Jones got the Boston Celtics to the NBA Finals all those years during the 80s. Let's cut the BS. Jim Caldwell probably should have been fired when everybody else got broomed the hell out of here last year. He's an obnoxious, obstinate, arrogant coach who makes terrible decisions and who has vastly lucked his way into what quote-unquote success, I've heard that word thrown around a lot, success that he's had. He's the greatest coach in Lions history. He's got, he, he's got a winning record after three years. So? He's not as bad as Wayne Fonts. You know it's bad when I'm forced to have to defend Wayne Fonts. Now, let's get this out of the way right now. I wasn't the biggest Wayne Fonts guy. I wasn't especially sad to see him fired in 1996 because the Lions had hit a ceiling. They had hit that high water mark for themselves. But if you look at Wayne Fonts and you look at Jim Caldwell 
and you look at their you look at their trajectory and you look at the comparison between the two as Lions coaches. Wayno was better. The one thing I keep hearing is, oh, the locker room loves Jim Caldwell. They play their hearts out for Caldwell. They love Caldwell. He's changed the culture. Has he? And do they? Yeah, they won 11 and 5 his first year. And that's beginning to look a whole hell of a lot like what 1991 was for Wayne Fonts. Well, the only difference is Fonts went 12 and 4. The Lions won that division and they won a playoff game. Those guys played for Wayne Fonts. And yeah, that 91 season, there was a whole lot of whole lot of things happening. Barry Sanders was in his third season and was an absolute monster by this point. Rodney Pete got hurt early in the year. Eric Kramer took over and had a magnificent season. Magnificent. You want to see what a Lions quarterback looks like in a big game? Go on YouTube and dig up the 1991 playoff game. Well, 92, I guess, because of the date. The 1991 playoff game, Lions and Cowboys. And you watch what Eric Kramer does. Eric Kramer did in that one game what people in Detroit seem to think Matthew Stafford does every week. He was unreal. Yeah, they went to D.C. and got their head kicked in in the NFC Championship game. But that was as good a Lions team as you were ever going to see. Ever. Jim Caldwell's best season was his first, 11-5. and five. And they had some pixie dust-filled comebacks in that year, too. That's the high watermark. They were 11-5. and five. What are the next two years? Last year was a disaster. They started 1-7. and seven. Everybody basically got fired. It was time for him to go. But somehow... He brown-nosed his way into staying with this organization, and when they brought in the new GM, Bob Quinn, he was essentially forced to keep Jim Caldwell at gunpoint. They finished 7-9 and nine after the 1-7 and seven start. They actually attempted to make a half-assed push to try to get to 500 and see if they could backdoor their way into the playoffs, and then Aaron Rodgers happened. We all know. I ain't got to pull that clip out again. But this year they go 9-7. and seven. Now, I'm not a math major, mind you. But if I do math correctly, that means the Lions over the last two seasons have 16 wins and 16 losses. That's a 500 record. The only reason he's 27 and 21, which Lion fans, you would think that this dude was Bill Belichick or Don Shula or Bill Walsh the way they talk about Jim Caldwell. 27 and 21 ain't that good. Guys have been fired with 27 and 21 records. 27 and 21 and they just... just Stick their nose up in there. How dare you criticize Caldwell? Can't you see his regular season record? Wayne Fonts had a losing record. Yeah, Wayne Fonts had a losing record because he lost three out of five games as an interim coach in 1988. Wayne Fonts' final record was 67-71. and 71. Not exactly something to write home about, but not terrible. He went 2-3 and three as an interim coach at the end of the 1988 season. You take those two, two wins and those three losses away, he's a 500 coach. And to date, he would be the only Lions coach post-forward buying the team to have a 500 or better record. Instead, he was 67-71. and 71. In eight full seasons, he had a 500 record. It's, it's apples and oranges, basically. Plus, you also take out the playoff record. He's a 500 coach. I'm not saying he was a great coach, but when you look at his body of work, people talk about, oh, look at all the success Caldwell has had. Two winning seasons, two wildcard playoff berths, Two losses in the playoffs. For Christ's sake, get the statue ready in front of Ford Field for Jim Caldwell. Wayne Fonts, 
as crazy as it is, as much as people in Detroit make fun of him and laugh at him, he was a bit of a dope at times. Look at that resume. Four of the best seasons in Detroit Lion history came under Wayne Fonts. He had the best single season at 12-4, and four, the lone playoff win, won two division titles, 1991-1993. They made the playoffs three consecutive years, 1993-94-95, and at that stretch, it was also four times in five years. The Lions made the playoffs six times in the 1990s. Wayne Fonts was responsible for four of them. So... Before you come in here giving me this Humpty Bumpty about Jim Caldwell being this magnificent coach, let me also get this out the way. If Jim Caldwell were fired tomorrow, who would hire him? Who? I'm not going to do the New Day thing here. Who's going to hire Jim Caldwell? People weren't beating his door down when he left Baltimore to come to Detroit. Jim Caldwell is a mediocre coach at best. He's the type of guy who will get you to maybe 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. If everything breaks right and you have the right talent, you might be able to squeeze out an 11-5. and five. What you saw with the, oh, he's the first coach to ever win 14 games. Yeah, again, Casey Jones. That's who comes to mind. If you handed me Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and Dennis Johnson <laughs> and, and, and Dave, really? Yeah, I'm going to look pretty good too. You hand me Peyton Manning and Edron James and Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney and Adam Vinatieri. Yeah, I'm going to look pretty damn good, too. I'm going to win a whole hell of a lot of games, too. The second Peyton Manning got hurt, suddenly Caldwell had to coach, and it didn't go very well. And the Colts were smart enough to get his ass out of there. But the Lions aren't. And Lion fans, the fake tough guys that they tend to be at times, and trust me, I know, I deal with enough of them, Lion fans are different from Colt fans because the Lions are happy, or should I say the Lions and Lion fans are just happy to be there. That's what really disgusted me. This team was 9-4. and four. They had a two-game lead in division. They were sitting pretty. Essentially, if they got one win in three games, they win that division. They get a home playoff game for the first time in more than two decades. You win a division title for the first time in more than two decades. You have a puncher's chance of winning your first playoff game in a quarter century. Instead, they gag down the stretch, crash into the side of a mountain, and then have Aaron Rodgers doing the friggin' two-step all over the 10-yard line before whipping a ball into the end zone for some dude named Geronimo. This is what the hell I deal with. This sort of thing happens, and... Mind you, it's not like 2011 when they made the playoffs, when they had been god-awful for more than a decade. That's the only year I gave them a mulligan for making the playoffs and getting beat because they hadn't done it in 10 years. They'd been through all the Matt Millen years. They went through 0-16. They went through multiple 2-14 and 3-13 and and seasons. I let it slide in 2011 because of the situation. They've made the playoffs twice since. They got jobbed in Dallas a couple of years ago. And I'll give you a quick one second on the whole referee thing. They got jobbed in Dallas two years ago, and then they go to Seattle and get their ass kicked on Saturday. So so understand this. Going from 9-4 and four and a potential two seed and a bye and a home playoff game in the divisional playoffs to 9-7 and seven and getting your head caved in by the Seattle Seahawks, that's unacceptable. In a whole lot of other markets, Caldwell might be out of a job right now because of that. 
especially after what happened last year. 27 and 21. He's zigs over 500. He's a 500 coach since then. I'll take those two seasons at 500 as more of a barometer than one magical 11 and 5 year where, by the way, they had the exact same result as they did this year. At one point in time in my life, Lion fans put Wayne Fonts' feet to the fire. Wayne Fonts went 12 and 4. The following year they went 5 and 11 and they were calling for his damn head. After going 12-4 and and winning a playoff game the year before, people were calling for his damn head. The Lions ripped off three straight winning seasons, a division title, and three straight playoff appearances. And after every single playoff loss, they were calling for Wayne Fonts' head. The Lions, mind you, who at that point were 40 years past their, or coming up on 40 years, past their last championship. But now, I got Lion fans looking at me sideways for daring to call this season a failure. Looking at me like I've got two heads for daring to say that I would have fired Jim Caldwell after tanking down the stretch. I got Lion fans telling me that I'm entitled for daring to demand that Jim Caldwell actually win something. That Matthew Stafford actually win a game against a team with a pulse in a big situation. How dare you demand they win a a division championship? How dare you demand that Caldwell win a playoff game? They're 27 and 21 in the regular season. Isn't that good enough? They're 9 and 7. They made the playoffs two out of three years. Fonts got them there four out of five and actually got a playoff win. You can't argue playoff win over regular season. There are coaches with sub 500 records who have multiple playoff wins. There are quarterbacks who are god-awful that have multiple playoff victories. But I got to sit here and listen to Detroit Lion fans, and I'm talking about the new booty Lion fans, not the young, not the cats who are 35 and up. The youngster fans, the hipster fans, the millennials, who seem to think they know every damn thing, even though they haven't experienced a third of it. This, this millennial fan base who seems to have no issue with a franchise that puts up banners for making the playoffs, not winning a division title, not winning a conference title, making the playoffs. They need to just run a big yellow participation ribbon up into the Ford Field rafters. Lions fans, you pissed me off. You made me sick. Patting them on the back, getting behind their lazy, whiny ass, who the referees were out to get us. Let me say something briefly about those referees. Look, do the referees make terrible calls in these games? You're you're damn right they do. For God's sake, you heard it earlier. Paul Richardson scores that touchdown. Just an amazing catch. He's his hand is down low, catching this pass with one hand, looking like an outfielder who got a late break on a ball and has to make the little scoop catch just before it hits the ground in the outfield. It was a hell of a catch. The reason why he's making the catch with his left hand is because his right hand is performing the crippler crossface on Nevin Lawson. Face masked, right in front of the damn referee. Clear face mask. Should have been offsetting penalties, and you replay that fourth down. And who's to say Seattle doesn't just turn right on back around and send Thomas Rawls right up the middle and into the end zone for the touchdown anyway. But, yeah, the refs got that wrong. That's not why the Lions lost the game. The referees aren't out to get you. The league isn't against Detroit trying to stop Detroit. What the hell you think this is? You think this is the NBA from 1991? The NBA in the early 90s didn't like the Pistons because they changed all the damn rules. 
The Pistons were not well-liked in the NBA 12 years ago because they mastered defense and the NBA had to change up the rules again. That's a league being against you. You want to know what it looks like when the NFL is against the team? Go ask the New England Patriots. And, oh, well, look what we have here. The league basically tried to screw the Patriots 10 ways, 10 ways by Sunday. And what did they do? They kept winning. They suspended Tom Brady for four games over bullshit. Steelers got doing, got caught doing the exact same thing Brady did. Nobody said boo about it. Brady did it. They suspended him four games, chased him two years, damn near went to the U.S. Supreme Court. What happens when Brady comes back to some bitch starts ripping off victories again? The league ain't out to get the Lions. Here, I'll make a compromise. The league ain't out to get the Detroit Lions. The league doesn't respect the Detroit Lions. And guess what? The Lions don't deserve respect. They haven't earned it. And that's another issue. This whole, oh, it's Detroit versus everybody. The referees and everybody's out to get us, man. They're trying to hold us down. Shut up. Grow up. When did my city become so soft? When did the people in my city become such punks? And expecting everything to be handed to them. For God's sake, the Lions tweeted out that stupid video saying, it's not easy and we wouldn't want it any other way. Oh, I think you would, by the way. But when did my city become so soft and so damn sensitive? The referees are going to make terrible calls. Guess what? The good teams overcome the terrible calls. The good teams don't let a terrible call completely submarine everything they're doing. The Lions get a call or two against them, and they start to sulking and acting like the babies they are because they didn't get their way, and they feel the world's out to get them. I sat here last year and watched my alma mater, Michigan State University, lose a game in Lincoln, Nebraska, after a Nebraska receiver runs out of bounds, then runs back in bounds, catches a touchdown pass. Clear as day. Runs his ass out, runs back in, catches a touchdown. And what did I hear from Michigan fans? You know, a lot of them who also root for the Detroit Lions. Get over it, Sparty. Get over it, Sparty. Maybe if you're not in that position, the referees can't screw you. Get over it, Sparty. Well, you know what I'm going to say to you, Lion fans? Get over it. I'm going to say to you the same thing I said to Michigan fans who won't stop whining about that damn game in Columbus. Get over it. You put yourself in that position. You make your own breaks. You get up and get out of it. That's what Detroit's about. Getting up off its ass and fighting back. Not this whiny, punk ass, oh, they're out to get us, they're taking us down. Uh. If you haven't noticed, I love my city enough to call it out. And I, even though they pissed me off, I will go back to what I said a few weeks ago. I'd give anything to see the Lions in a Super Bowl. I'd prefer the Jim Caldwell not be there when they do it. And they're about to pay Matthew Stafford a crazily stupid amount of money to be their franchise quarterback for the rest of his career, even though he likely won't win a damn thing. I sure as hell want to see this franchise actually do something in my lifetime. I don't want it to be like the Chicago Cubs where an entire lifetime's worth of people comes and goes without ever seeing it happen. But for God's sake, get it together. And Lions fans, as I close this show out, do better. Expect better. Demand more. Nine and seven and just getting in ain't good enough. Especially when you were nine and four and had it on cruise control. Demand more. If you're going to climb up Wayne Fonts' ass after a 10 and six season where you get into the playoffs and lose, 
I'm not out of bounds for demanding that you climb up Jim Caldwell's for tanking a 9-4 and four start. At least when the Lions got to 10-6 and six under Wayne Fonts, they'd win seven consecutive games to get there. They were known for making that mad dash, that great finishing kick to the end of the season. These Lions under Caldwell sputter and fall into the damn ocean. I don't want to hear it, Lions fans. Man up. The referees ain't out to get you. The league ain't out to get you. The team just ain't that good. You earn it. You earn it. It won't be handed to you. Go get it and demand more from this damn franchise. I'm here in Philadelphia where all they do is complain about the Eagles and how the Eagles just have treated them so wrong despite the fact they've been to two Super Bowls and they made four conference championship games. That's what I want in Detroit. I want them to demand more. Stop giving me this, oh, well, we used to be bad, so but 9-7 and seven is so much better. How come you just can't be positive? How come you just can't hope? As I said in the first segment, and as I will close this show now, hope is not a goddamn strategy. My name is Jay Scott Smith. I'm telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pet spayed or neutered. Hold this damn team accountable. I'll see you next week for episode 27. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for coming out. God bless you. Good night. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, Be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.